Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Mary E. Pearson, author of The Jenna Fox Chronicles, as well as novels including The Miles Between and A Room on Lorelei Street. Pearson's latest novel is called The Kiss of Deception. First in the Remnant Chronicles, it's just been published by Henry Holt, which is sponsoring this podcast. In The Kiss of Deception, 17-year-old Princess Leah is about to be married off to a prince she's never met in order to secure an alliance between their kingdoms. On the day of her planned wedding, she runs away rather than accept this fate. Taking refuge in a seaside town, Leah and her companion Pauline begin new lives working in an inn, but it isn't long before Leah attracts the attention of two men. But little does she know that one is the prince she nearly married, while other is an assassin sent to kill her. Mary, thanks for speaking with me. Thanks so much for having me, John. Uh, and first of all, congratulations on uh, The Kiss of Deception, making it out there into the world. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just so glad it's finally out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so with this novel, uh, sort of the big mystery dr- driving the action forward is not knowing uh, which guy, Rafe or Caden, is the prince and which is the assassin. Uh, Leah doesn't know, certainly, and neither do we as readers. Um, was that mystery the starting point for this book, or were there other ideas and factors that sort of conspired as you developed uh, the idea for this series? Well, there were a lot of, uh, a whole slew of ideas that, that kind of wove into this. Uh, but the, the mystery factor, um, I was kind of surprised at some of the reactions that I have gotten because some people think it's, you know, a big twist. But really what I wanted to do was give uh, each character a chance to be um, listened to by the reader and not dismissed. And I also just wanted the, the reader to have that same experience as Leah did when she found out who was who. So it's sort of like, you know, you always want to put the reader into the main character's shoes, but this was kind of, you know, in overdrive <laughs> doing that. Mm-hmm. And did you know from fairly early on in the game that you wanted uh, the narration then as a result to switch uh, between the characters? No. I started out writing it in third person, and I did this just because I I wanted sort of a change of pace and not doing it in in first person like my other books had been. But I very quickly realized that I could not pull this off without actually using trickery on the reader. I didn't, and I didn't want to use trickery. I wanted them to be in Leah's uh, shoes, but with everything in the novel there, there was, you know, all the clues. If you go back and reread, everything is there. So, yeah, I started out wanting to put them in the reader in each of the characters' shoes, but without using any kind of trickery. And uh, now, do you feel like this, this series represents um, your, your biggest push into what some might call or consider, you know, quote-unquote traditional fantasy? Uh, I never really considered it traditional fantasy Honestly, John, when I write, I just write the story I want to write, and it's usually later that people tell me what genre it is, <laughs> and so, you know, I think it's actually a little bit uh, of a combination of many different genres. It's it's romance, it's a little bit of science fiction, it's uh Fantasy, high fantasy, I suppose, because there's kings and queens and princesses and a, a little bit of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's many genres. 
And do you feel that same way about, let's say, the Jenna Fox Chronicles, which some would probably have wanted to pigeonhole as a science fiction or something like that? Right. When the the first book came out, The Adoration of Jenna Fox, um, actually, even before it came out, people were saying, oh, so you've written a science fiction book. And I said, no, no, it's just it's a, you know, a story about a family and their struggles, because I'm always so concentrated on the characters. And so I was actually kind of surprised when it was designated as science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, now, getting back to this book, uh, you know, the setting is, is very evocative. It feels kind of both very familiar in a lot of ways, but also can feel very unfamiliar at the same time. Um, as Along with finding out more about what happens to, to Leah and Rafe and Caden as the series develops, will readers also be learning more about the world that you've built here and the society? Uh, you know, early on in the book, you sort of describe it as having risen out of the ashes of men. Yes. Uh, with each book, you'll learn a little bit more about, you know, the world and the histories of it and, you know, more about where it's come from. But it, it, it will be given out in, in little doses for the readers to kind of put the clues together themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you work with the same editor on this book as you did for the Jenna Fox books? Yes, I did. Kate Farrell at Henry Holt, who I absolutely adore. And she's, you know, it was a different animal for us because our other books together have been uh, shorter. We've never done multi-viewpoint characters before. So, you know, we we both learned um, a lot through doing this book. And there's a very different feel in writing a long book. This one's almost 500 pages. My other books were quite a bit shorter. And it's it's a different process. So she's uh, been my longtime editor and was on board with me from day one. Mm-hmm. And were there uh, any sort of unexpected developments or, or turns the, the book uh, or series took as, as the first book here took shape? Uh, I wouldn't say that there was any unexpected turns, even though when I... What I did when I proposed the series, I'd only written about 50 pages. And with that, I wrote two synopses for the other two books about how it would go. But I told my editor, I said, well, after, after they accepted the proposal, I said, but Kate, you do know that the books won't go this way at all, right? And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. So, you know, even though it was sort of laid out in the synopses, uh, yeah, there were unexpected turns because I'm also kind of an organic writer and I listen to the characters as I go and I'm always open for whatever, you know, the story brings. So certain things happen that I hadn't planned and that's kind of one of the joys of writing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, this book plus the two other books. Um, is is the scope of this then a trilogy or is that something else that you know could potentially change as this, this sort of series organically takes shape? I think it's just going to be a trilogy because, um, yeah, I think that's kind of firm in my head. I'm always open. I do have sort of a mini story I would like to write with this if time allows, but I'm not a particularly fast writer, so I don't know if we'll ever be able to squeeze that in somewhere, you know, considering the timeline. But, um, you know, at 500-page books, that's like 1,500 pages worth of story, and I never say never, but I think that's all that's in me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and now, can you talk a little bit about what the uh, the book launch has involved so far? Well, there's been quite a, a bit. My head is um, slightly spinning, so if I sound dizzy, because we're still in the midst of it, mm-hmm. um, that's why. Uh, there's just been, well, one, there's been a blog tour, so I've written... Um, you know, many, many blogs regarding the story, different aspects, you know, the, the music I, I used uh, as I wrote it, um, talking about women and, and their strengths and, and what I love to see in a heroine. So, there's been a lot of articles I've written, um, uh, including for Huffington Post and Romantic Times and various things. And then I've also been, you know, doing... Um, selected uh, stops, ALA and Comic Con and things like that. So it's it's been nonstop. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I saw there was also a, a live uh, Twitter chat. How did that go? Oh, that was fun. That was really a lot of fun. Um, it, those just breeze by so fast, and that's kind of that energy is what makes them so fun. But it was a, a chance just to talk and squee and, and just do lots of fun things with uh, readers. Uh, it's a sort of event where anybody can attend, whereas if you go to you know a bookstore, which is wonderful, there's so many people who simply can't go. So Twitter chats give you that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And regardless of the venue, whether it's uh, an alive, a live event or a, a digital event or a blog tour, have you noticed um, in sort of the early weeks of the book being on sale, have you noticed certain uh, themes or commonalities coming up in terms of the sorts of questions you're getting from people or the, the sort of questions they have about the characters uh, in the book? Uh, yeah, one of the the, the typical questions is... Um, you know, what you get for any book is what inspired it. And so, I, I actually, before I start, before I even wrote the book, um, I wrote down all my inspirations ahead of time because it's really hard to remember. By the time you've finished an entire book, certain inspirations rise to the surface, some fall away. So, I wrote down all the things that were niggling in my head and which things actually ended up, you know, working into the story. Uh, but that's, you know, a very common question. And of course, and everybody wants to know, um, you know, did I intend to write this twist and deceive the reader? And yes, I, I didn't really want to deceive them. I, I wanted them to deceive themselves, which apparently <laughs> they have. And, uh, you know, and then there's um, questions about Rafe and Caden. And uh, so, yeah, those are kind of the, the common questions that I've been getting. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, in addition to some of the, the very positive reviews uh, the book's been getting from uh, trade magazines like PW and some of the others out there, I noticed you also have a lot of blogger reviews on your website, and that might be part and parcel with uh, the blog tour and things like that. Um, but as your own career has sort of developed in the last you know decade and a half, um, what's your experience been of the growth of the sort of book community online, whether it's uh, blogging yourself or the sort of all the enthusiastic readers who are out there on Twitter or you know writing on their own sites? Well, it's just, it's obviously exploded. You know, when I first started writing, there was, I think the the only people blogging were maybe authors. And now the book community is just, you know, it's exploded and they love sharing, you know, and it's really, it's always been word of mouth that gets books out there. You know, you can um, do all kinds of things to try to promote a book, but it's, it is the word of mouth. So, 
it's been it's been wonderful just having all these people in it. And the other thing is, they can actually contact you. Uh, there's this interaction, and and I love having that. Um, opportunity to speak with a reader shortly after they've read the book and their, you know, their passion and excitement is really high. You know, way back when I would get letters um, in the mail and sometimes, you know, they would be pub uh, forwarded from my publisher and it would be months later. Mm-hmm. And, and then it might be, you know, another few months, few months before I could answer. So, you know, it's sort of that the, 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 everyone's already moved on by that point. The passion level is maybe not quite as high. So um, it, it's, it's been great. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And do you find, uh, you know, the, those sort of interactions online and that sort of thing are, can be useful as a writer, like also maybe as a way to sort of balance out a, a solitary, uh, t- you know, time spent with you in the screen uh, rather than, you know, a distraction, at least when things are, you know, in the best of cases? Oh, yeah. You know, it, it can obviously be a procrastination tool to, you know, you hit a rough spot in the manuscript and you think, oh, I'm going to go online. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely, it can be a distraction and it's trying to find that balance. That's one of the things I'm trying to do now because I still have deadlines and uh you know, uh, expectations and things I have to do. So, um, yeah, it, it's always a balance because there's just so many um, venues out there. You know, there's Wattpad, there's, you know, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, the whole blogging community and it just goes on and on. So, you sometimes you just have to step back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned uh, Comic-Con earlier. Is that going to be your, your first time going to that? No, I went a few years ago uh, for the Adoration of Jenna Fox, and it's crazy. It's crazy fun, but it's definitely, uh, you know, quite an experience. So, um, and I'm in San Diego, so, you know, I, even if I don't go, there's tons of coverage on the local news here. So, um, it's quite an event. Mm-hmm. And speaking of uh, San Diego, I, I think I saw that uh, one of your, your launch events for this book was at uh, Mysterious Galaxy. Is that um, a store that you have sort of a longstanding uh, relationship with? Or? Yes, yeah. They're an independent store that's not too far from me, and, and they're just so supportive. I love them. And so I've had my last several launches there. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you still hear a lot from readers who are just finding their way to uh, maybe the Jenna Fox books or other books you've written in the past as well? I do. I do. And in fact, I recently heard from um, some schools down in Australia and they're doing this, you know, cross school study of the adoration of Jenna Fox and wanted me to pop in and talk to them. See, that's one of the things I, I never could have done years ago, but now, um, you know, with uh, all the opportunities online. I can talk to schools in Australia. So, um, so yeah, I do still hear from readers. And I still hear from readers for Scribbler of Dreams, one of my very first um, books. So, uh, it's, um, yeah, the, there, some stories just kind of go on and on. Mm-hmm. And, of course, not that it would be the worst thing in the world if, if an Australian school felt they had to you know, have you come out personally, you know, instead of... Oh, no, that that would not be bad at all. (laughs) Uh, So getting back to to this series, uh, you spoke a little bit about, you know, the trajectory of the Remnant Chronicles. Um, I assume you're you're well into the next book, uh, maybe even the one beyond that. Is there anything you can share about those? 
Sure. Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of revisions for The Heart of Betrayal. It's uh, I'm it's kind of on hold right now because of all of the launch activities, but it's it's. The draft is completed, and I'm doing revisions. And so, the heart of betrayal. I can give you a few little hints about what it is, what it's about. Uh, Leah, um, at the end of the book, we see her on one side of the bridge, about ready to go into Venda. So she crosses into Venda, and she discovers that the kingdom of Venda is not quite what she was expecting. And you know, it's a very dangerous place to be. As and she did expect that, and it. It's requiring all of her energy just to and wit to stay alive, and she also possibly has to keep Rafe and Caden alive too. So, uh, and that's one of the things I, I like um, writing is you know, it's not just about strong heroes; it's about strong heroines too. Um, and many people want to see her dead, but there's a few who unexpectedly really were kind of expecting Leah, and they want to um, keep her alive, and they they may be the key to her survival. So, uh, we meet a whole new cast of characters, and we meet the Komazar, which um, he's been really fun to write, and he's not you know quite what she expected either. So, yeah, it, that's probably about all I can tell you about Art of Betrayal. Okay, and fair enough. The strong heroines thing is uh, an interesting topic, and I wonder. You know, I feel like Leah certainly uh, would would fit in that category. Without giving away any spoilers, there are some scenes toward the end of this first book that I think uh, I don't know. They certainly have stuck with me for a few months now. Oh, um, but uh, do you, is that something you've been hearing about from readers with regard to Leah in this book? Oh, absolutely, and that is one of the other you know common comments is um, you know just how strong she is and. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I've had people ask, well, you know, why is a strong heroine so important to you? And it's just like, well, I know strong women. There's strong women in all of our lives, and why not write about them? So, um, you know, she's she's a, probably a combination of a lot of women I've known who are completely amazing and strong and, you know, changing the world. So, uh, yeah, it's... You know, I think it's always a balance of, you know, you you had, I know some very strong, heroic men in my life and strong, heroic women. So, I I try to write about both. Mm -hmm. And uh, I almost hate to ask, but are you mulling other book ideas while you work on this series? Or is this the sort of thing that commands your attention fully? (sighs) Oh no! This this is it. No no other books right now. Usually, I sometimes have something like that, you know, sort of um, in the back of my mind. But because I still have a third book, you know, I, I'm working on the launch of the first, trying to revise the second, and already musing on the third. So I just don't have room for one more idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, so maybe as a final question, you'd mentioned before about that little list of inspirations. I wonder, were there a couple that you um, that you feel really were there from the start and have carried through uh, the whole way? Uh, yeah, I would say the, the one of the strongest ones was um, how... About, was sort of exploring the things that last. One thing I've noticed, um, and maybe this is in a lot of my books, but just observing the world around us, I've seen how much things change and how much things stay the same. And sometimes it seems like our progress is 
kind of this weird back and forward dance, you know, two steps forward, two steps back. But through all of that, there are some things that we can always count on. And one is love and one is hate, you know, which seems, you know, pretty obvious. But, uh, you know, and with with hate, you know, I've, I've seen, um, you know, just the, the the terrible things that we do to each other as human beings. And it it never ceases to surprise me because it's, you know, they're just horrible things that you just don't know how people could do them. But we do it generation after generation, millennia after millennia. Um, but then in the midst of all this stuff that goes on, we still have the the wonder of two people falling in love. You know, love is timeless, too. So, you know, those were the kind of things I wanted to explore, that, that two opposites side by side. Well, uh, congratulations again on the new book, and uh, thank you for speaking with me. Thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Once again, I've been speaking with Mary E. Pearson, whose new novel is The Kiss of Deception, just out from Henry Holt. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. 